What up, y'all? Welcome to Queer Walk, the podcast, the insurgent bi-weekly audio syllabus hosted for and by queer women of color. Mm-hmm, that's right. I, I'm so excited. I'm, I'm going to try to make it through without crying. You cry. My name is Money, the lesbian earther. Okay. Can I explain yeah. why I'm the lesbian earther? Yeah. Okay, because... Our dear friend, Yanira, has me watching The Expanse. And it's like this, you know, futuristic, like 300 years into the future when, like, Earth has colonized space, basically. And I just don't feel like I identify as a belter or a Martian. So I'm still an Earther. So I'm a lesbian Earther. I don't understand anything that you just said, but it sounds fantastic. <laughs> sounds great. Love it. <laughs> uh, and I am Nikita, and I am now officially a certified rigor and signaler. So I had to take yes! my uh, this rigging test. It was a written portion and a practical portion for my job. It's probably the hardest test I've ever taken in my life. And... You know, I had to take it a couple times, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. So, but I finally... That's all right. That's <laughs> all right. But, yeah, I'm so proud of myself because um, I, I passed that test. So, I feel really good about that. I'm so proud of you. So proud of you. I remember how your little mopey face was the first time that test came around. Oof. And I was just so excited to get your text that you passed. I, I was so excited. Shout out to my nigga who's a rigger. I, yes. Why did I know you were going to say that? I was waiting on it. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, just for, if you don't know, <laughs> rigging is just on any kind of like industrial site. It's basically the, the lifting. It's like using all these different kinds of like, Ropes, for lack of a better word, ropes and chains to lift very heavy stuff. This sounds great. Where do I sign <laughs> I, up for the rigging? I, I think you're thinking of something else. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Shout out to the rope bunnies. All right, let's drop the Simmer intro. Down, lesbian earther. Your chocolate demeanor and your cocoa kisses. I see your glow from a distance. Your vibe inside my submission. I give you all of me. Wanna make you proud of me. We see the God in all you do. Your light is harmony. Every time darkest night, brightest light, I'm loving your soul. They hate you, replace you, taint you, but know that you go. Worldwide from every continent. I just want you jig a little bit. Move them hips, feel that bliss. Hug your sister, make a fist. Don't resist your temptation. You amazing, no limitation. My favorite in this matrix. We move by your vibration and that's love. I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby you love. I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby you love. I hope you hear that on the daily cause baby you love, you love, hey. All right, Nikita, so this is episode 100, 100. 100, 100. Yes, yes, and for the 100th episode, 
Um, on the last episode, we announced that we were going to do a 100-episode giveaway, which we did. So, shout out to everybody who, first of all, participated. And, uh, who, especially um, those who followed the directions. Okay. Seems like that was difficult <laughs> for some of you all. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, when you enter a giveaway with a Capricorn and a Virgo, you, you have to have follow, to follow the, the directions. directions. There were three things that you all had to do. Anyway, neither here nor there. Yes, thanks, Nikita. Because we already got the winners. So. I'm just saying. For the next time, you all need to follow the directions as clearly stated. I love that you're speaking that out. Like that there's going to be a next time. I would I would love to just do like, yeah, some another giveaway soon. But... We wanted to shout out the 100th episode giveaway winners here. Um, And I'm so excited because we had like two OG like listeners who have been holding us down on social media for so long. Kimagisha and Strangefruit underscore one. Thank y'all so, so much for just being a part of our community and always um, sharing the good word of Queer Walk on your social media platforms. Yeah. And last but not least, Cutie Kia was our final winner. Hey, so cutie. They all got $100. $100 for, <laughs> for the, the 100th hundred. episode. That's right. Yeah. And it was actually Kim McGeesh's birthday. Oh, my the day that I pulled. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, congratulations, y'all. And thanks again for everybody who just tagged us, who continues to tag us when people ask for, like, podcasts suggestions um and just really building a digital community yeah. for us political queer weirdos yeah i mean we love you all even if and when you don't follow instructions <laughs> okay nikita <laughs> no in all seriousness um you know it means so much to us you know that you all are in our community and support you know, the fun, the foolishness, and, you know, some of the sense that Money and I drop on the show. We love y'all so much. Yes. All right, Nikita. So for folks who, this might be their first Queer Walk episode, first of all, welcome. But second of all, Nikita, can you tell folks where they can find us? Yes, bienvenido. You all can find us on Instagram and our Twitter at Queer Walk Pod, P-O-D. You can also uh, sometimes find us on the Book of Faces, facebook.com slash queerwalk, P-O-D. And you can find us where this whole shebang began, on Tumblr, which is queerwalk.com. And where can folks listen? Uh, Wow, this is... I still gotta ask you that. Yes, that's how we do it. You can listen okay. to us on um, Pocket Cast, Castbox, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and you know we've been giving them shade for a long time, but we've revisited the terms of agreement, and they are oh not as heinous as they once were. <laughs> and so now on our hundredth episode, you can listen to it. Give me your fucking money! <laughs> when you, you, you said heinous, that's all I could think of. Oh, and, <laughs> and the podcast justice system. The Spotify, Spotify terms of agreement. Previously. <laughs> <laughs> These are their stories. Doom, 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 doom. Anyway, you can now... Marisca Hardin. <laughs> you can finally listen 
to Queer Walk on Spotify. Yes, I I hear the screams and applause. <laughs> yes. And for the people who are like, yeah. you are you all are unprincipled traitors. Uh, once again, <laughs> the terms of uh, the terms of agreement are have in fact changed, and they're they're like I said, they are not as heinous and barbaric as they were a few years ago when yeah. we looked. So we have made the decision. Yeah, you know, queer walk. We've got our radical. Left wing black feminist mental health foolishness and fun uh, shenanigans need to be spread as far as far and wide as possible. Agreed. Money. Yeah. You and I. Well, excuse me. What was that tone? <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. I was about to say something so disrespectful, but it's a hundredth episode. Oh, as you usually do. It's our one hundredth episode, so I want to mm-hmm. keep it positive and comradely and loving. Anyway, money, <laughs> you and I are the hosts of this illustrious insurgent biweekly audio syllabus, right? But Indeed it takes we are. it takes a whole community to have the wheels of this local motive in motion. That's right, Ubuntu. Woo woo, come on, ride the train. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> no, okay. Anyway, you just keep making these like sexual innuendos, and then you expect me to stay on task. Stay on, stay on task, or stay on that ass. <laughs> anyway, it takes a whole community, is what I'm trying to get at, to make this, you know, to make the queer art community run, right? And there's ways that you all, as a community, can contribute to this community. So, Money, please tell the listeners how they can contribute. All right. So, like Nikita said, we're the curators of this podcast. But y'all make it possible. Y'all got us to 100 episodes. And y'all can continue to see 100 more uh, by doing these one of two contributions. The first is by loving us out loud. You can do the R's. You can rate us, review us, request a topic at queerwalkpod at gmail.com or just tag us on your favorite social media. You can repost the episodes when we uh, drop them. You can retweet when we're out in the Twitter streets and reply. Use the hashtag queerwoc to talk all things the podcast or hit us up at queerwalkpod.pod. You can also send us an email to submit Curve Chronicles, uh, Queer Walks of the Week at QueerWalkPod at gmail.com. The second way that you can contribute. Why? You know what I like to say about the email. Why'd you zoom past that like that? The second way you can contribute to this insurgent biweekly audio syllabus is by giving us your money. Uh, you can hit us up with like as much or as little as you can in a non-committal one-time donation at our Cash App, which is Dollar Sign Queer Walk Pod Pod. Or if you would like to give us a small amount regularly, you can become a sustainer of this program by heading over to our Patreon, which is Patreon.com/slash Queer Walk Pod Pod. We have some suggestions there for you, but you can give as much or as little as your pockets will allow. All right, Nikita, let's move it on along to our 100th Queer 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 You fucked up. You fucked up. 
Queer Walk, Queer Walk, Queer Walk of the Week. Yes. So can you tell folks really quick what the Queer Walk of the Week segment is? Yes. So the Queer Walk of the Week is the segment where we amplify, celebrate, give roses and flowers to a queer woman of color or queer person of color who's doing the damn thing. Uh, I lovingly call, parenthetically call this the roses segment, right? It's because we want to give roses to people um, while they are, uh, to queer folks of color, queer women of color, while they are still with us. So it's like we don't have to wait till people become ancestors to celebrate and remember the important things that they do um, and the important people that they are. So this is, uh, that's what Queer Walk, Queer Pock of the Week is all about. That's right. And uh, this Queer Walk of the Week is no different. Nikita is doing a nasty little lecherous dance. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll just continue with the segment. <laughs> so, um, in keeping with the theme of Black history makers who are still with us, you know, who's still alive, very much so alive, fragrantly alive, um... <laughs> All right, so this week, I wanted to do a WNBA player. Of course you do. You always want to do a WNBA player. That's your motherfucking problem. And so, the Queer Rock of the Week for our 100th episode is Teresa Weatherspoon, also lovingly called Teaspoon, for those of us who know, Oh, which is not Nikita. So You don't know. I could have known that. You didn't. You don't know what I know. Who is Teresa Witherspoon? Teaspoon. <laughs> okay. All right. So, um, I feel like this is long overdue. I could have probably done Teresa Witherspoon a long time ago for Queer Walk of the Week. I bet. But uh, what what big of an, what bigger of an honor than the 100th episode? So, shout out to the person on Twitter who said that Queer Walk is a WNBA podcast. All right, so... It's half of a WNBA <laughs> podcast. I didn't even think that, you know, I made that many mentions about... Montanique. Basketball. Montanique. I feel like you are always talking about basketball. Am I? Yes. On, on the mic, though? On the mic, yes. And I know that you often talk about it because I usually have no fucking idea what you're talking about or who you're talking about. Who was that man you were talking about? Somebody, there's these two basketball players, a man and a woman. Reggie Miller. Who's this? And- yeah, Cheryl. <laughs> oh my gosh, Nikita, I'm going to stop you there. <laughs> <laughs> That's, sh- sh- is Cheryl Miller not kin to Reggie? Yeah. Thank you. I rest my case. No further questions, Your Honor. Ken. Okay, Nikita. Anyway, uh, Teaspoon, you didn't uh, deserve this, like, Nikita intro, but I'm still going to celebrate everything you've accomplished in the basket of the balls, okay? So, uh, Teresa started out uh, as, like, excelling in basketball at Louisiana Tech. Um, where the she led the Lady Texters um, to like this dynasty of Final Four appearances, and in her senior year, she added the fifth consecutive Final Four appearance um, in the NCAA National Championships at, at the program uh, at Louisiana Tech. 
1988, she was awarded the Wade Trophy, um, and she was named a two-time All-American while in college. She went on from there to join Cynthia Cooper, shout out to Cynthia, and the rest of the 1988 Olympic team, the uh, the women's basketball team, and they won gold in Seoul, um, Korea, South Korea. So, Teaspoon is an Olympic gold medalist. So then, Teaspoon then spent almost like 10 years playing overseas because there was no professional league for women in the United States at the time. So she returned to the United States to play basketball professionally when the WNBA launched in 1997. Ah, who can who can forget that inaugural uh, season? Um, and she was selected tenth overall in the elite draft that first um, that first season. Teaspoon went on to lead the league in assists uh, her first year and was named Defensive Player of the Year back to back. In 97 and 98, right? This is the first two seasons of the league. She's just out here dominating. Um, She also is a five-time WNBA All-Star. And she, um, again, consecutive years from 99 to 2003, if there was an All-Star game, Teaspoon was there. Um, Present and accounted for. She led the New York Liberty. Oh my gosh! I I'll save this for a little bit. Later. I know <laughs> how you feel about New York Liberty. Oh my gosh! I I like grew up in and around Liberty games. Like they were essentially free for me to get in because I was an NYPD explorer and because my dad used to work security around there. So I would just go um, to Liberty games all the time. I used to have a bunch of like. Um, Liberty gear and like teddy bears and stuff. I was I was a huge uh, Liberty fan for a short amount of time after the Washington Mystics because of Nikki McCray. But that's that's a whole nother story. Anyway, um, <laughs> I don't want to confuse Nikita. So um, she led the Liberty to the WNBA Finals four times in 97, 99, 2000 and 2002. Um, solidifying her status as like a winner, right? Like if Teaspoon on your team, you going like this is a winning team. Win, 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 win. How do you know that song? Me. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I just wanted to put this little antidote in here because I will never forget. This is like one of my favorite memories of all time in my life is watching the New York Liberty with Teresa Witherspoon on on the team at the time, play the Washington Mystics at Madison Square Garden. And like I said, I was a huge Mystics fan um, because of Nikki McCray. I don't know why, but she was just my favorite player. You know how you're just drawn to people. Um, She was also good, so there's that. But watching the Liberty play and, like, whoop the mystics and then i got you know the free new york liberty uh little bear stuffed bear and then big tiggle was at the game this is when uh the basement was big on bet it was just like oh my god this is amazing and, <laughs> and that's like one of my favorite childhood memories and i think I mean, I don't remember exactly what the score was, but I just remember that uh, Teresa Weatherspoon showed her ass in that game. She probably had, like, over 30 points. Um, it was just, like, 
every other bucket, they was like, Teresa Witherspoon. And I was just like, who is this girl just uh, scoring on my team like this? And so... I have a question. Yes, Nikita. So, you said that she got some award for being the defensive player. Why is she shooting (laughs) buckets if she's a defensive player? (laughs) Nikita, unlike... Unlike what football, I don't know what other sport, um, you don't switch out like these people play defense and these p- people play offense. In basketball, you do it all. Oh, I so see. You either you play defense depending on what end of the court you're on. So oh, so if your team's if, got the ball, then you're obviously then you're playing offense. offense. Oh yeah, yeah, obviously, of course, yeah. Just a short <laughs> lapse in my. Carry on. I just, yeah, so this is just like, it was the summer before I went to college. I mean, to to college, to high school. It was the summer before high school. It was like, just, I don't know, it was just dope. It was a memory that I will always have and cherish and uh, think so much about how Teresa Witherspoon was such a a huge part of that. And I remember, like, everybody wanted the Iverson braids, you know, like the fishbone braids where... The braids go into the bigger braid. Let's talk about teaspoon braids, though. Okay? How she gave us season after season, look after look with these braids. Okay? I don't know who was cornrolling that head, but them fingers was gifted. Everybody wants, you know, like the the Angela Bassett arms or the Tina Turner arms or Angela Bassett when she was Tina Turner arms. Let's talk about the teaspoon arms. Okay? Let's talk about how Teresa Weatherspoon was arm goals. For, like, the whole high school uh, basketball team, all right? Um, I just wanted to to shout that out as I walk down memory lane as well. Well, I'm doing some Googling, <laughs> and Teresa looks quite dapper. <laughs> okay, Nikita. I'm just saying. So she played? Some nice style going on there. Right? Right? Okay. 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 <laughs> So she retired from playing in 2004, but she continued to coach. She even went back to her alma mater, which I, that's like a dream to like go back to the school that you started the, your uh, professional basketball career at and like led them to all kind of um, division playoffs and post um, season wins as well from 2008 to 2014. In 2010, Teaspoon was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame. Salute to her for that. Uh, It gave us lots of uh, funny videos of, like, the OG WNBA players reminiscing on, like, plays and games and stuff. And in 2011, she was voted as one of the top 15 players in WNBA history. Wow. I'm not done because she's still doing shit. (laughs) So um, she joined the Liberty coaching staff as the first director of player development and franchise history in 2015. So a first, making history. Um, and then she was inducted into the 2019 class of Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame. And so like Naismith is like a really huge award that you win, Nikita. Just to let you know. So to be inducted into the Hall of Fame is a big deal. And that same year... She was hired by the New Orleans Pelicans, which some folks might know as the New Orleans Hornets, 
Um, but she was hired as a two-way player development coach. Um, and she's one of only, like, I think 11 women who coach in the NBA. Oh, wow. I was trying to remember. I know, like, Becky Hammond was the first woman to get a coaching gig in the NBA. Um, but I think, yeah, there's definitely few. So she's one of few, right? And I think this is huge because when we talk about, like, possibilities post-college for uh, women who play basketball, it's really, yeah. like, overseas. Yeah. <laughs> Or something else, like coaching, because there's there's a limited amount of open slots on the WNBA teams every year. You know, they got they, they star players that come back. That's like half the roster. And so it's really not a lot of opportunity for women post-college in basketball. And, um, yeah, folks like Teresa Weatherspoon are creating a lane of like, look, women are good at this shit. Right. <laughs> so like give give us other opportunities. And so things like coaching open up more lanes for women in basketball too. So I'll put a link in the description of this episode if you want to read more about Teresa Witherspoon or if you want to just look at her fine ass and check out all the um, looks she served courtside and yeah. during games. I don't know a lot about um, basketball, but I saw those fi- uh, those pictures and I do, in fact, concur. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Shout out to the OG, Teresa Witherspoon. And if she wants to sponsor two young queers, oh my god, Nikita, let I go. wouldn't say no. <laughs> Always looking for a sugar mama. Why don't you sugar your own self? <laughs> I probably could only splendor myself at this point. I'd probably throwing sweet and low myself at this point. aspartame. <laughs> Still on a hunt for a glucose guardian. All these episodes later. All right, Nikita, we're going to move it on along to Community Contributors. But I don't. All right. What was that? You're not helping. But I don't. That just sounded <laughs> like you hurt yourself. But I don't. That was. That might be the worst one yet. Anyway. Uh, ask, ask Nikita what she contributes to this podcast. Uh, my acerbic Nothing. wit. Moving on along. <laughs> acerbic wit, anyone? Anyone? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Masnik, uh what is the community contributor segment? Uh, the community contributor segment is where we shout out the community that contributes to this podcast and makes it possible. So, such a clear description. Is- here is our community that contributed. Wow, that was so helpful. All right. So, shout out to Keisha. Thank you, Keisha. And Odette. Is that Odette? Odette? You always say this every time one of our friends become patrons. Is that Odette? Odette? You know it's Odette. I mean, I just. Nah, it's the other Odette. It, it could be. <laughs> okay. Either way, uh, we appreciate you both so much for becoming patrons. And happy belated. It's going to be real belated by the time uh, this episode airs. But happy belated birthday, Odette. Oh, my gosh. I just missed Odette's birthday. Yeah. Oh, happy birthday, Odette. Well, you'll you'll hear this and the birthday wishes will be timeless. 
Nice save. <laughs> Alrighty. So, um, you want to give us the Borders of Fake shout-outs? Wow. Yes. So, this can't be We right. got some good ones this episode. Y'all can't, th- y'all must have knew. Like, okay, Birmingham, episode 100. Alabama? Birmingham, They've Alabama. never been in our top? I don't think so. I don't think we've ever shouted Birmingham out. Oh, well, shout-out to Birmingham. And what is this, the book? The book? Dubuque? I don't know. I think it's Dubuque, Iowa. Dubuque? Dubuque. That's what I'm going to say. Dubuque. Dubuque. Thank you. What's going on in Iowa? It's just last week. Iowa Iowa just got put on the queer walk. That's what's happening. Huh. Thank you. Thank you, whoever started it in Iowa. Yeah. Who's like, hey, yo, y'all heard this podcast? I think you should listen to it. Was it even a person? It might have just been a stray cow or something. What What's happening in Iowa? <laughs> Doesn't matter. Whatever uh, living being put anybody or anything onto Queer Rock, we appreciate it. Um, shout out to Upper Marlboro, Maryland. Yeah. I think that's the... Is that in the greater Richmond area? Because remember, Richmond was on Richmond? two weeks ago. Richmond, yeah, and our top. Is Upper Marlboro close, Maryland, close to Richmond, Virginia? I don't know. I, it's DMV. Wow, that's, I don't think that's, no. Oh, well, you know, I don't know geography, so whatever. Anyway, <laughs> shout out to Upper Marlboro. And what is this last one? Ajax, Ontario, Ajax. Canada. Yes. Ajax. That's a good one. Wow, these, that's a lot of fun. <laughs> Maryland's been creeping up in the past, like, six months. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Something's going on. Yeah. And I, I like it. Um, I did want to read uh, this email because somebody from Ames, Iowa, wrote in. It was, they, so they say, greetings from Ames, Iowa. When I heard that we had made the borders our fake shout-outs, I couldn't contain my joy and started calling people in order to celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I haven't been a listener for that long, your podcast has had such a profound impact on me. As an Asian woman on a predominantly white campus, I've had people try to block me from entering places where I've lived because I didn't look like I belonged slash probably Mm. had COVID or operate under the assumption that I didn't speak English, even when I gave Mm. ample evidence to the contrary. Listening to your podcast has made me feel like I'm a part of a community for the first time in years, and it's helping me slowly process all the things that have happened. Thank you for all the time that you put into Queer Walk. Your episodes make my day. P.S. My friend and I have chosen Women, Race, and Class by Angela Davis as our next book club pick after hearing Nikita reference it on the word. So, um, I don't know if we can give your name, but... Um, just just call them uh, Ames. Ames. Because, yeah. yeah. Yeah, just in case. Just in case. But, so, um, I'm so glad that you sent such a sweet message, even though we'd never even... Um, even though I didn't know where the living fuck Ames, Iowa could possibly be. <laughs> I'm just glad that there are uh, women of color, people of color, queer folks of color um, listening. And, you know, brimming with such enthusiasm and joy that they uh, have to call people in order to yeah. celebrate. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. Oh, my gosh. That email is so sweet. 
<laughs> yeah. It was so and also, sweet. like, you know, fuck, fuck the anti-Asian racism. That. Yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, that's just yeah. terrible. But I'm really excited that we we feel like community when you listen. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, All can right. I can I read a message from... Yes, you oh, can. Oh, in... Um, I can't pull it up. I don't know what's going on, but we also got a message from uh, uh, Westminster. Remember Westminster? <laughs> okay. On what? Um, I think it was on Twitter, but somebody was like, hey, Westminster checking in here. It indeed does not slap. So... <laughs> <laughs> oh okay so there there's your answer nikita that's what goes on in westminster um mm, no slapping yes understood but i'm gonna read a message and i don't know i don't want to give their name either so uh we're gonna call them lynn all right so lynn writes I found Queer Walk because I wanted to listen to a podcast, but I realized I didn't want to listen to one by white people or cis men or straights. <laughs> Laughing emoji. So I literally Googled Queer Women of Color podcast and Queer Walk popped up. I started listening and I loved it and binged all the episodes. Thank you so much for doing that. That really helps <laughs> push us up as a recommendation. Uh, Lynn continues, it was so comforting during a time where I really felt alone and I learned a lot and felt really inspired by what y'all talk about. I feel like I was just chilling with my friends. That's what we aim to do over here at Queer It really Walk. is. Yeah. My gosh. And shout out to Money for naming the show Queer Walk. I, I mean, that, that's it. <laughs> Why, why, uh, why jazz it up? You know, that's what, what Hanifa said about your gay aunties. She like, we gay, we aunties. That's it. Yeah, yeah. That's it. <laughs> you know who your people are, right in the title. That's right. <laughs> All right. And the last one, the last message I want to read is from ZZ over on iTunes. <laughs> so ZZ left a five-star review. With the um, comment, love with four O's, the show. I consider y'all my big sisters and y'all stay having me rolling and giving me knowledge and a sense of community. (gasps) It's all I ever wanted to do. (laughs) So, um, you know, like when, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, it just feels really good when. People who give you the feedback that you're trying, you're, you're intending to put out, right? So it's like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When you start absolutely. something like, I want to create community, uh, an audio community for queer women of color, and queer women of color, like, I fuss with it. It feels like community. Right, right. Oh my gosh. It just makes me so happy. Yeah. I'm trying, trying to hold it together through this episode. All right. Moving right along to. The crown jewel of Queer Walk, the podcast. This is the mental moment with money. What is that? Oh, I thought you were. Well, I just got my hopes up. I thought you was going to do a jingle for old time's sake. But I guess that's a thing of the past. Anything else you want to reminisce on right I now? Just, y'all remember the days when Nikita used to like, she used to come with them jingles, man. 
those jingles. Y'all remember the jangles? Y'all remember? Are you done? I remember them jangles. Them tunes. Are you I done, Bocephus? That was, that was like golden era of, of queer walk. Queer walk, queer walk. <laughs> really was. Are you done? Okay. So, before I was uh, rudely interrupted, I was going to introduce the mental moment with money. What is the mental moment with money? Well, money here is a resident licensed practicing mental health professional. So the mental moment with money is the segment where she gives us some kind of tool or some kind of tidbit uh, that we can use to, um, you know, have, you know, better mental health. These are tough times. It's always hard times for us as uh, queer people of color, queer women of color. So again, money gives us some kind of informed tidbit and insight from her experience. In okay, no, it doesn't matter how long you drag this out. You still don't have a jingle. So we'll just cut that. All right, y'all. So <laughs> We're going to the fucking mental moment. <laughs> I will. With our, with our bitch ass uh, mental health Stop professional. cursing. Is that what you want? Stop cursing. That what you um, want? That's how you want to do it? I do. On episode 100? Yes. Because I just, I, you know, I was over here kind of like, hope. I was like, Nikita going to come through with a jingle on episode 100. She got to. And look, I feel like our friendship has just de- <laughs> deteriorated. <laughs> like, uh, like, she's sitting here eating through my mental moment, y'all. She just, I just get no respect from Nikita. She called me a whore <laughs> before, <laughs> before we started recording. I just get no respect from Nikita Alize. I just, none. All right. <laughs> I guess, I guess, you know, the fem. <laughs> The femphobia could only stay tucked away for so many episodes before it reared its ugly head. <sighs> Did you just hang up on me? <laughs> no, but I should have. <laughs> Y'all hear her mouth full because she eating through my segment. Um, all right, let me pull it together. Just don't put no respect on the labor it takes to create queer walk. <laughs> that is not true. I deep now. Let me tell you what we not. Let, let me tell you something. <laughs> so this mental go on with your little funky ass moment. So this mental moment, um, I wanted to do on an acronym about happiness. So. A lot of things inspired this. One was um, there is a like a digital content creator, an image activist, artist, Gervais. I just I feel like as long as I've been on social media, like from from Tumblr to uh, when Instagram first started, like Gervais has always been like there, like in my my social media world, and so um, has just been content creating for like. I don't think it's an uh, exaggeration to say over a decade. Um, and they did this uh, like Instagram reel 
and said, um, empathy is what love uh, feels like. Empathy is what love says um, or something like that. And it was like, fear is what shame thinks like. Fear is what shame says. And so I was like, ooh, I like that. And it reminded me of this acronym. Uh, it's actually uh, pulled from research on OCD. I just wanted to shout out um, Maythal Eshagian, who's a LMFT who specializes in OCD. Um, and so, you know, I always like to shout out other women of color doing this uh, healing shit. And uh, reminded me of this book called The Happiness Trap. So I post a link to the book in the description of this episode. But it's all about um, how to stop like struggling with happiness and to start actually living a life that feels uh, fulfilling. And you do that through like you you do it through like this radical acceptance in therapy, right? And so I pulled out this acronym that I think really relates to what blocks us from happiness that we can do even outside of therapy, right? It's like it's like an assessment to see how these things are um, impeding you from having the breakthrough you want or uh, living the life that feels more joyful for you. So fear is not just the, uh, <laughs> the emotional uh, reaction or the emotional state, like the re- the response you have when you're scared, um, it's actually an acronym. So y'all know how I love an acronym. I'm going to run down. The F stands for fusion. The E stands for excessive goals. A is for avoidance of discomfort. And R stands for remoteness from your values. So I'm going to go through each of these. But again, I encourage y'all to read The um, Happiness Trap. It's a really uh, good book and it's a quick read. Um, And so if you find this mental moment interesting, I would say go check that out and check out Gervais' page. I'll put her at in the description of this episode. So the first block to happiness is F, which is fusion. So fusion, to, to make this really like simple, it's the stuff that your mind tells you that gets in the way of your emotional experience. So um, earlier today, I was talking about thought loops. And so it's all the, mm. the things that get stuck on repeat in your head. Um, maybe you're a person that thinks away your feelings. You know, so um, you you talking to your own self saying like, this is not a valid thing to feel and talk yourself out of feeling something. Just feel. I promise you. It's okay. Yeah. Just feel. Yep. Um, so I wanted to just uh, give a little bit of a marriage and family therapy perspective on fusion because it's one of the classic uh, um, like tenets of our field. And I think... What also makes us really unique as uh, systemic thinkers. So fusion is is from the Bowenian Dictionary of Therapy. Uh, Murray Bowen, he, he's like a big, big name in marriage and family therapy. A lot of folks like him. Uh, um, I, I think he's aight, but whatever. But he described fusion as setting aside your own emotions thoughts and beliefs in order to maintain some sense of like homeostasis in your intimate relationships. So you can see how this relates to that process of like talking yourself out of your own feelings. So this creates these really intense relationships 
that are dependent on you constantly managing your reactions, your beliefs, and your actions in hopes of keeping the connection, right? So, um, so this isn't okay, y'all. If it's a threat to the relationship for you to have an independent belief, thought, <laughs> or emotion, um, then the relationship is really unstable. And I, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to go too far and use extreme words like unhealthy, but I would just give it pause if I feel like I have to bracket my own values, beliefs, and emotions in order to be in relation with somebody, right? You should be able to feel for yourself and still remain in relationship with people. Okay. And I would also extend this to systems of oppression. Are you in a fused relationship with normative gender roles? <laughs> like, are you performing this way because you think that's how you have to perform in order to be accepted as insert whatever gender here? Um, I see a lot of like non-binary folks tweeting about non-binary doesn't always have to look androgynous, you know? So it's like, do you are you performing androgyny because you think that that's what non-binary is quote-unquote supposed to be it's like no we the whole point in liberating ourselves from the binary is that we get everybody of every gender gets to express themselves however they want um so it's so fusion doesn't only have to be about interpersonal relationships and this is my addition obviously obviously you know these crusty theories ain't (laughs) ain't talking about systems of oppression but systematic yeah, yeah yeah but like If you feel like you have to perform in a certain way to stay in right relationship with insert whatever here, that's fusion, right? So how do you release yourself from that? Well, I have some thoughts. The goal is to develop the ability to be in emotional contact with others, yet still autonomous in your own emotional self. Does that make sense? I must say, can you explain more? So. About what you mean by that? Yeah. So me, me and you, for example, we have a lot of overlap in values, but that I, I don't ever get the sense that if I were to disagree with you or have a different feeling about it, that I would lose our friendship. Right, so if we right, had a, right, right, right. if we had an argument about value, for example, or maybe even if we had to argue about like how I interpret something, which we have before, you know, it's like I feel this way about what happened. The relationship is still sturdy enough to, w- yeah, yeah. So I can still have my own emotional self, independent of you, but we still, but we still can be in relation to one right. another. Okay. Our relationship right. is not dependent on me foregoing my own emotions, beliefs, right. and thoughts right. to be right. in relationship with you. Because okay. honestly, you're ashy and I, it ain't worth it. No, I'm <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> so a way to start assessing for fusion is ask yourself these four questions. What do you feel? Why do you feel it? What do you value? And why do you value it? Remember, it's like assessing the things your mind tells you. That gets in the way of your happiness. All right. So moving on along to E. What might be blocking you from your happiness? So E is about excessive goals. And boy, oh boy, was this hard for me to swallow as I made these notes for the episode. Um, 
Excessive goals is about excessive goal setting. Um, Are your goals realistic for you? Or are they life escalator goals? That's what I call it when it's like, you're like, I'm 25. I should be bop, bop, bop. Or, (laughs) you know, I'm about to be 40. I should be blah, blah, blah. It's like this life escalator that that is obviously external to you that somebody else mapped out and you're measuring your own worth against it. Um, What resources do you need to achieve these goals? Are they goals you even want to achieve? You know, (laughs) it's like, um, yeah, I think about like turning 30. It was like this whole thing about like, oh, I I should be a LLC. I should have a house. I should own my home. Let me post my keys on the gram. It's like, no. (laughs) that's actually not a personal goal that i had for myself at 30 you know my personal goal for myself was to finish fucking school and get you know like yeah um, Yeah, yeah get the phd um so really assess like are you just setting these goals because they're internalized value systems that you don't even rock with um Are you excessively setting goals and just blowing past all of your achievements to to get to the next goal? Um, It's it's very important to soak in every win. Every win. Because nobody is going to celebrate you but you. I mean, sure, uh, I think, thankfully, we have community and we celebrate each other. Like, I was so happy when Nikita passed her rigging test and, and became a rigger. But um, you also need to take those moments to sort of like soak in like the culmination of your uh, your efforts, right? So how I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have to play this clip for you for your shut up. Okay, so how to how, here's a quick way. This is like a way that I learned in undergrad in like a study skills class, and it still sticks with me about assessing goals. And it's the smart goal. A, a lot of y'all have probably heard of this. Is it specific? Is it measurable? Is it attainable? Is it reasonable? And is it timely? That's a good way to assess if a goal is like a good fit. And if you do that assessment and you like, oh shit, this is like a really unrealistic, excessive goal, just chunk it, break it down into smaller, manageable parts (laughs) that you can measure your achievement on. Um, My favorite way to do that. I fucking love this smart yeah of setting goals yeah my favorite way to do it is uh to-do lists so instead of on my to-do list writing um uh check my emails i will i will write out which emails do i have to send today yep you know (laughs) so i'm checking off each individual email and it really feels like i did something instead of writing do my emails on my to-do list. And at the end of the day, I still got 80 unread emails and I feel like a failure. Yep. So, yep. So check your goal setting. It might be blocking your happiness. A is for avoidance of discomfort. Now, what coping skills are you using as an escape from feeling unpleasant emotions? Are they getting at the root or nah? Y'all remember I did that whole mental moment on episode 69. If you don't remember, go check out episode 69 of Queer Walk the Podcast. I think it's like cafeteria, coping, and something else alliterative because I love alliteration. But (laughs) on that episode, I did a mental moment. 
on. Oh, I remember this one. Yeah. I'm sorry. This was so good. This is such a good you one. You liked it. I loved, I vividly remember the uh, coping mechanisms. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just listed out three different camps of coping mechanisms, right? So you could have constructive coping skills, which help you get at the root of what you need in the cope from in the first place. Neutral coping skills, which kind of just put the problem on pause. And negative coping skills, which if you did them for 90 days, you would be in a worse off place than you were when you first started having to cope in the first place, right? So um, so when you think about avoidance of discomfort, like are you doing more neutral and negative coping skills that are not getting at the root when you could be doing something constructive that makes you feel that sense of achievement, that you knock something out, um, or that just just helps you. Yeah, when I think about coping skills, I'm like, if I did this for 90 days, would I be in a better position, the yep, same position, yep. or even worse position than I am now, yeah. right? So today, I was completely flooded. Like, I could not take another thing. So I just got up, threw my jacket on, my headphones, plugged in my headphones, started listening to Bag Ladies, and just went on a walk. Cause I was like, I can't, I can't do it. (laughs) So, so I walked for the whole episode of bag ladies and came back and I felt so much more regulated. Right. So if if I threw on my headphones and went for like a 40 minute walk, every time I felt flooded, I think I would be in a much better position. You know, I I mean, at least, at least probably my legs and my booty would be in a better position. (laughs) (laughs) Shut up. So, yeah. And another thing I wanted to say about avoidance of discomfort, this isn't in the happiness trap, the book that I'm suggesting. This is just my my plug in here that sometimes an unwillingness to experience uh, like a momentary uh, discomfort might block you from an actual breakthrough. And so what I mean by that is like when I mean, even in my own therapy, it's really hard to talk about some things. It's so fucking hard. But every time after I talk about it. I feel better. There's never been a time in therapy or even with my friends where I've talked about something uh, that makes me uncomfortable and I feel worse after, (laughs) you know, it it always makes me feel better, even if it's just having got it out. Um, And so I think about that in a lot of ways, like the, the momentary or situational anxiety you feel right before you, I don't know, give a speech or, or send that person you've been uh, googly eyeing that first message. Um, that might be a momentary discomfort, right? I don't want to feel that that momentary anxiety, but it might set you up for a really big breakthrough, a connection with somebody, yeah. um, opportunities that you've been waiting to have. So just think about it, like when when you go to uh, achieve something, or even not, if we take the achievement goal oriented mindset away. If you go to relate, if you go to cope, and the first thing you think is, ah, but that's going to be kind of hard. I don't know. Yeah. I don't want to. Like, <laughs> you might be talking yourself out of the thing that's right. It's like the the door that you, you just have to open to get to this other side of, of bliss. But, I mean, I feel like that's a word on that. Because, and I think that, because even when you say, like, you know, take the achievement part out of it, I think, like, to some degree, that's also really important. Because 
even if you don't get the intended out whatever mm-hmm. it's like there, there you still I, well I should say for me I still feel like there's a certain level of like pride yep. that you get mm-hmm. you feel proud of yourself for like you know for lack of a like for working through something that was hard yep, yep. So, like, even if, like, to use the example of, like, oh, let's say you shoot your shot, mm-hmm. and then, you know, maybe it's not reciprocated or whatever. It's like, you might have some feelings about that, but then you're like, that was, you like, did it. I stepped out of my comfort zone, and I did mm-hmm. it. And it's like, and, like, to your point about the breakthrough, it's like, like, now you're like, I have the capacity to right. do this. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, that, that, this, I don't know, that was, that, that's, that's such a word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And last but not least, remoteness from your values as a blocker to happiness. Um, I think this is so relevant to the the content of this podcast. Uh, I feel like this is a way that I stay close to my values. Today, you know, I tuned in to hear. I, I call her my uh, black feminist mother, <laughs> uh, Barbara Smith. I heard, I listened, I tuned into a Barbara Smith panel today. Really filled my heart. Um, things like that, that keep me close to my values and that hold me accountable. Um, you know, having, having Nikita to check me on my, um, my, my fuckery, you know, (laughs) like, um, being, being loving. When you be teetering into the, um, don't tread on me territory. (laughs) (laughs) Now listen here. All right. (laughs) <laughs> we just got our Birmingham listeners. Well, <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, just like uh, calling me in and like that loving accountability. Um, I really, I think that's something I get from the podcast and out of our friendship. But remoteness from from your values is like the. It's just how it sounds. It's the losing touch. With what's important and meaning for you, meaningful to you in your life. Are you isolated? Do you need to be in community that shares your values? A lot of us work in settings that don't share our values. So then after work, do you have a place to like breathe and reconnect into your values? How do you do your values? Um, is it a faith community? Is it an activist group? Is it... <laughs> Is it a mutual aid collective? Like, what are the ways that you remember what you stand for? <laughs> um, and and the closer we are to our values, the happier we are. So, don't let fear get in the way of your happiness. And so, again, that acronym. I, was saying, I know you're going to run it back. Run it back. F is for fusion. E is for excessive goals and goal setting. A is avoidance of discomfort and R is remoteness from your values. So take it slow. Just just chomp on one of these for a little while and see if it's getting in the way of your happiness. That that's good. That was great. I know the one I'm chomping on that A, that avoidance of discomfort. That that resonated. I just love what you said about unwilling being unwilling to experience dis- discomfort is like it might you might be like keeping yourself from experiencing a breakthrough mm-hmm. that I just that that was that oof, it just that was a word right there it just got me I love that 
Aqua Underwear is a small, custom underwear project with an eye on queer, gender, and BIPOC inclusion. All garments are handmade by Mel, a queer Latinx sewist based in Salt Lake City, Utah, with a dream to make underwear that can be customized to fit a wide variety of bodies and genders. That means underwear made to your unique measurements and between-the-leg needs and styles you actually want to wear. While the future holds many exciting styles, currently, Aqua Underwear exclusively makes boxer briefs for all genders. Custom orders are taken seasonally, each time in different colors and fabrics. They have cozy cotton, luxurious lace, and coming up is the Mega Mesh Collection. Sizes range from 26 to 60 inch waists, and sizes are ever-expanding. As part of the QT BIPOC community, Aqua Underwear's owner Mel centers the community wherever possible. For example, all Aqua Underwear models are cutie BIPOC and BIPOC folks and prioritized for testing new styles and models. There's also a 20% undie discount and even some pay-what-you-can options for folks in the community. There's so much more to discover about this new underwear project. So to find out more, head over to Aqua Underwear's website, aquaunderwearslc.com, and Instagram at Aqua Underwear, that's A-Q-U-A Underwear, and feel free to hit them up. Tell them that Queer Walk sent you. And now, our leftist, lesbian, luminary labor lecture from our womanist worker, wordsmith, Nikita. Ding, 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 ding. Oh, yeah. The word segment is the segment where Nikita breaks down some social justice jargon, puts us on to some political goings-on that we need to know about as queer folks of color, gives us the radical roots of something, or just tells us what her, um, her, you know, socialist, black feminist uh, brain is digesting at the moment. So take it away, Nikita. I don't, I don't really like the tone at the end, but I'm going to let it alone. All right. <clears throat> so... I've mentioned this before. Um, so I am on the proverbial rig. So I'm working this terrible shift 4 p.m. to 2.30 a.m. This is going to be, I'm going to start calling this the word slash reading on the rig. So I think I told y'all before, when I'm on, when I'm working, you know, like 60 hours a week, it's just hard for me to, you know, do the in-depth things that I would normally like want to do. So when I'm on the rig, I just, I think that this is a good time for me to reflect on and just talk about, shoot the shit about some article, some text, some book or something that um, was like important to me in my political development. So I was like, what in the fuck am I going to talk about? And I was like, you know, this is Queer Walk and it's Black History Month, so... Like, what's something that would be good and appropriate for the 100th episode? So I was reminded of this piece by Kathy Cohen called Punks, Bull Daggers, and Welfare Queens. So I came across this piece um, almost a decade ago. 
And so, just to give a gist about what the article is about. So, in this piece, like, Kathy Cohen is trying to basically, like, the audience, I would say, for the piece, is like, or she's responding specifically to, um, like, t- and specifically talking about, like, the history of, like, lesbian and like kind of like lesbian and gay and like like leftist queer like history and movements so she was she's trying to like get in particular like queer like uh, like a more like white queer theorist queer theory but more importantly i think like white queer activists who like we're drawing these binaries between hetero, like just basically these like kind of reductive binaries between straights and gays in the sense of, so like she's making this argument that so when, so when like mostly white, like queer activists were saying like all heterosexuals are basically the architects of like, Privilege, queer oppression. Yeah. yeah, Kathy Cohen is like that's not actually. Mm-hmm. Um, she was like, I don't actually. She's like, I think that's reductive, and I don't think that that actually gets at how, like, what heteronormativity is, and like how it actually functions and works in society. Exactly. Um, so I went back and I skimmed the piece I uh, before I talked about it today, and there's this part about it that I don't remember that I thought was really interesting. And so she's she's basically trying to make an intersectional, like a left-wing, like intersectional critique of why that why that analysis, this binary between you know, all like basically all heterosexuals as being like the architects or the maybe not the architects, but like the the people who push and support heteronormativity. Mm -hmm. Like the agents of heteronormativity. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so she's not, it's not just an an academic critique, but something that I thought was really helpful and sharp about um, what she's doing in the piece. So again, it's not just like a theoretical thing, but she's also making this argument and this point about how like deepening the analysis is is it critical and it's important because it helps deepen political unity. So she's not again it's not just like a theoretical argument but she's making like so she's like this has implications and like consequences for like on the ground organizing. Mm-hmm. Um and so so I just want to read a quote from the piece. So she's like, in narrowly positing a dichotomy of heterosexual privilege and queer oppression under which we all exist, are we negating a basis of political unity that could serve to strengthen many communities and movements seeking justice and societal transformation? How do we use the relative degrees of ostracization of all sexual and cultural deviance experience to build a basis of unity for broader coalition and movement work. And so again, it's about deepening the analysis 
to again deepen a base of unity um in like coalition work so what the fuck does all of this mean and so this so this piece is like often cited and in what in like a field now we understand to be called queer of color critique and so what she's saying is like the the whole crux of the article is that so what she's like a point that she makes is that even though somebody may not identify as queer and they might very well be heterosexual, when you start to add on, you know, class domination, when you start to add on, you know, to think about white supremacy, now basically heterosexuality is not evenly um, privileged across groups. Across mm-hmm. groups, yeah. And so, like, some of the, like, the best examples she gives are about, um, like, black people who are living under, um, basically black folks who are enslaved. And then, again, going back to the title, Punks, Bull Daggers, and Welfare Queens. Like, you think about, like, black people, particularly, like, black women and other women of color and how they were treated. In like you know the '60s, you know when you start to see programs around like social wel- welfare expand, and so um, going back to the example of like how like black people were being viewed and treated in slavery, she has this really great quote, and she says, um, "You know, it's the system of state-sanctioned." white male upper class heterosexual domination that forced these presumably black heterosexual men and women to endure a history of rape, lynching, and other forms of physical and mental terrorism. In this way, marginal group members lacking power and privilege, although engaged in heterosexual behavior, have often find found themselves defined as outside the norms and values of dominant society. So, again, you think about, like, the best, like, one of the clearest examples of this is, like, you think about, like, one of the long-standing tropes and stereotypes about, like, black folks is, like, a hypersexualization. Mm-hmm. And, like, that doesn't fit within, like, the idea of, like, heteronormative. And, like, heteronormative specifically, to get to, like, Kathy Cohen's point, it's not just about being heterosexual, but it's about being, there's, like, these class ideas about Mm -hmm. it being like a nuclear family Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and it's like you know (coughs) excuse me a mom a dad you know like the two kids and again there's like these class ideas about family and then like the best example um i think she makes this point so forcefully and clearly when she talks about the Moynihan report which is what we've talked we've talked about this um report Mm -hmm. uh we've referenced it on the show before where Daniel Patrick Moynihan was a liberal senator from New York. And so here's the, the thing that's always important to mention about the um, Moynihan report. So Daniel Patrick Moynihan was a white man. Uh, he was a liberal. And so he like he was trying to make these. Um, so he wasn't like some like avowed right winger mm-hmm, or like mm-hmm. white supremacist. But, you know, we know that liberal liberalism has always um 
there's a, a form of like liberal racism. And so like the phrase that people most remember, remember from the Moynihan report is this idea about the tangle of pathology around black families. And basically what he was saying is that because black families are quote unquote, you know, he says that black families are, are oftentimes, you know, headed by women. Mm-hmm. He's like, there's like a matriarchal mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. structure to the families. Um, that that was the tangle of pathology. Mm-hmm. So he's saying like basically black families are fucked up because they're uh, headed by women, yeah, right. And so that is the like uh, such a clear example of like black women heterosexual, right? Let's presume that they've had children with black men, identified as heterosexual but not heteronormative because mm-hmm. again there's a very specific way that uh there's this class racialized and gendered way that we're supposed to understand what a f- what families and like heteronormativity looks like does that make sense i was just can you run that back like um so they they get captured as heterosexual but not heteronormative mm-hmm. because again it's like having children outside of um marriage you know, again, or a marriage your husband or, being the breadwinner and and you're a stay-at-home yeah. wife and another thing about black families is like um because people always try to you know these racist and fucked up ideas about black families is so it's like, oh well there's not a dad in the home but it does it completely obfuscates the fact that black fam black people and people of color more broadly have these expansive like kinship relations networks, around yeah. kinship yep. so it's like my family is a, because there's not a quote-unquote dad like who lives with me in the home one doesn't mean that you know the dad is not involved yeah. like there was a study that came out um, maybe it was like 10 or 15 years ago that said like black men are actually some of they the spent, most involved yeah. fathers. Yeah. yeah. They spend far more time mm-hmm. with their children um, than uh, yeah. other races of men. Like and, overwhelmingly and so. so. Piece, it was like. Overwhelmingly uh, as, so. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it was like 90 yeah, something percent. exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. But then on top of that, it's like, so it's like, because you have this this very narrow idea, the heteronormative idea about what a family, the nuclear family, that doesn't account for your grandma, but you know, you're raised by your grandma. You could be raised by your aunties. You could be raised by your uncles, Mm -hmm. other grandparents, godparents. Mm -hmm. And it's like, again, that's, that's a, a totally expansive idea of the way that we expansive, way that we experience have yeah. and build kinship in our communities but that is not seen as a legitimate form of uh family mm-hmm. right in terms of again the two parent nuclear family and so because black because black families didn't look like like the dominant mid- white middle class idea about like what again heterosexual like families mm-hmm. should look like it's like even though black women heterosexual black women will have children with presumably other heterosexual black men, they still fall outside of the bounds of heteronormativity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and so again, going back to the, this is what I feel like is sharp that I didn't remember from when I first read the article. And so what she's saying is, um, this, I just want to read this quote. And so she says, this is a discussion of how to build a politics 
organized not merely by reductive categories of straight and queer, but organized instead around a more intersectional analysis of who and what the enemy is and where our potential allies can be found. This analysis seeks to make clear the privilege and power embedded in the category in the categorizations of on the one hand an upstanding quote unquote morally correct white state authorized middle class male heterosexual and on the other hand a culturally deficient materially bankrupt state dependent heterosexual woman of color the latter found most often in our urban centers so what the fuck does all that mean I think that is critical because I feel like I think that this is especially important now given how the discourse around social justice how it happens often like especially online is that th- to me this is so important because she's saying like a sh- a straight black woman right like has a vested interest in like joining forces with with other with other with like queer folks mm-hmm. right because both are targeted and treated as sexual deviants mm-hmm. in our society mm-hmm. and i feel like that's it i mean i don't want to get into this mm-hmm. because i feel like this could you know this could end up being a shots fire but i think that often t- i think again there's a way in which like these kind of conversations happen and we and people sort of like narrow down so it's like we all get fixated on the like an ever increasing like narrow identity mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. and it gets very clickish mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and it's like no like like the way that we like this is to me the best this is what is so profound and so important about intersectionality right it's not just about like we go down to like the most oppressed person yeah like yeah. in in like multiply marginalized <laughs> mm-hmm. groups but it's like how do these systems right. like of course they impact us differently but like how can we see the clear direct like effect that all of these systems have yes. on us again that's not the same as saying that we are all equally affected but it's saying that to some degree we all have a vested interest it's yeah. like we have to have an analysis of what our vested interest mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. and like get getting rid of these um systems of oppression mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i feel like that and it's like and i think that again it's not about making some kind of like moral argument it's not to say like oh like I think that like het- homonormative, excuse me, I think that heterosexism is bad, but it's like here straight, you know, in this example, like here straight black person, here is like a clear and concrete way that this like affects you, you. lose out yeah. in this system. Mm-hmm. Right. And so again, there's like a vested interest that you have in this. So it's not, again, it's not just about, Oh, like, I'm like a quote unquote like ally. Mm-hmm, it's like mm-hmm. no, like I benefit and mm-hmm. like getting rid of this oppression too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, and like she does a really good job of like making that point very clear in the article, mm-hmm. where she's like, I'm not saying that like like there there I'm not saying that there aren't relative privileges, but she was like, but again that point about like understanding who the common right. like, enemy is. Right. I, feel, I feel like that. I think mm-hmm. that we forget that a lot. A lot. And I think we also forget that the goal is to dismantle the system. 
Like the the purpose of naming all this difference is to learn something from the difference. Like it's yes, that's what exactly. that's what Audre Lorde was saying about like, you know, self-definition and, and working across differences like um what does the gap between my experience and your experience teach us about heteronormativity as a oppression system? And there it is, yeah. bitch. That's right. That's right. Like, what can we learn from how all of this impacts us differently to different degrees in order to dismantle yeah. the system? Oh, God, I, I feel like I got a million more things to say, but I'll stop there. Um, I'm glad that you put this back in my um, my thoughts because I read this like almost, yeah, probably like, I think in like 2013. It was a while ago. And yeah. This is the, this, I, this, the last thing I'm going to say, I promise. But I, the, one of the things I've always thought about with this title is that she says, you know, it's called Punks, Bull Daggers, and Welfare Queens. And so she spends most of the article talking about sexuality. And I think it's really interesting that, you know, she's got that Punks and Bull Daggers in the title. And I think that there's a, I think that this analysis could also be extended to think and talk more about mm-hmm. gender. Because one of the things that I've thought about so much that I was thinking about, especially when I first was encountering, um, well, there's two things. When I was encountering black feminism and also understanding, not just not just understanding myself to be queer, but understanding myself to be like a masculine mm-hmm. presenting person. So much of like, there was so much discussion about how black women have been like, Seen yeah. as more masculine. Yeah. Uh, the, the, I feel like that was such like a, a mm-hmm. common thing to be discussed in like yep. black feminist literature. Yep. And it, I think it gets dicey because like like straight black women are always, mm-hmm. and I get it, right? If they're like, you know, black women are seen as like less, mm-hmm. you know, I guess feminine, less mm-hmm. womanly mm-hmm. or whatever. And, and then it's, it's I have thought it was always interesting that, the goal was then to like try to like like what has always been implicit in that for me is that there's something I'm like well then what do you make like what conclusions do you draw about masculine women because mm-hmm. like that was that's that was mm-hmm. always the subtext was like we don't want to be seen as this because there's something like inherently yeah. like yeah. wrong with that and so instead of saying you know. Black women have like expanded like mm-hmm. our ideas about mm-hmm. gender. I feel like, yeah, I think there was an unintended way in which black women were like, no, 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 we're just as we're just as femme as everybody else. Like, we're just as yep. woman, right? Yeah. And so I'm like, actually, like we all, regardless of like sexual orientation or gender presentation, like there's something yeah. there to be like, we all have some kind of vested interest in like pushing mm-hmm. against these like narrow ideas mm-hmm. of like gender mm-hmm. this is yeah and like womanhood but that's that's a whole other yeah. topic but I, I just thought it was interesting that she in in the title like punks and bulldoggers two very yeah yeah gendered, gendered queer terms. gendered yeah terms she does she doesn't say she doesn't like delve mm-hmm. into that mm-hmm. all right I'm well done. i mean this is something i think about a lot too and I was sort of like spinning in this after listening to T with Queen and Jay's episode on gender and hearing Jay talk about 
the narrowing of womanhood under white supremacy and how yeah it feels like the the, uh the impulse the automatic impulse is to be like yeah black women are feminine too like we're we're feminine too but it's like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and some of us are not you know like (laughs) so what um and i and i also think that our experience as black queer women as like masculine presenting or otherwise because i think just identifying as a lesbian is masculinizing in whatever way of failing failing at womanhood the way it's constructed um oh um the thing i was thinking about all of this is all these things that people attribute or um reserve for masculinity like, those were labors that black women had have always had to do in this country, like, on this soil. So, it's like, working, right. um, being in the public sphere. It's like, those are, th- like, black women have always worked. Black, black, black women have always, like, uh, had to um, assert themselves in, like, whatever, whatever way. You know, it's like... Right. Those those things aren't reserved to masculinity when you add the impact of racism and the way black black women have been exploited for their labor exactly. in this country. Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. I just I just think about like how how closely tied um, these gender boxes are to what we do in this labor system. And yeah, and outside of all of that, I just. I just think, like, there's room in womanhood. I think this is what Jay was saying on that episode. Like, there's room in womanhood to encompass all of these different gender expressions. And as we continue to act like all women are cisgender, that all women are hyper-femme, like, what does that say? What does that say about about women like me? A whole heap of us. Yeah. So... Yep. Read Kathy Cohen's article, y'all. <laughs> Nikita actually put the link in the yeah. description. So y'all. All right, y'all. So um usually here's where we would do the topic segment, which is like our queer potpourri segment where we talk about all things that don't really fit into our other segments. But we didn't have a topic for this 100th episode. So if you would like to submit a topic, you can do that at QueerWalkPod at gmail.com. If you would like to hear us bump our gums about something, if you want to ask us a question, um, or if there's like some kind of, you know, goings on that you want to hear our musings about, just submit it there. Yeah. All right, y'all. So... Uh, without a topic, we're going to move it on along to Curved Chronicles. Curved, 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 curved. So the Curved Chronicles segment is where we talk about our dating woes and wins and or your dating woes and wins as queer folks of color. Um. So, yeah, uh, Nikita, you have any Curved Chronicles? Uh, curved What's been chronicles. going on in the year um, dating world? Let's see what's going on with me. Um, I don't know. I feel like, I think my boo and I are, we're good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're happy. We're solid. We're doing solid good. Solid as a rock. You don't even know that song. I know that part. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> good for you. Is this what is this what you feel like when I say things about WNBA? I'm like, you're what? just trying you don't know anything about ashford and simpson 
Anyway. I didn't say I did. All right. I don't even know if that's them. No, but anyway, yeah. So, yeah. I'm just like, I'm pretty smitten. So, mm-hmm. that's what's going on with me. Yeah, uh, you, do, you do like relationships. Yeah, I do. I don't know. I think, I think I had this. I think I've been coming to grips with this in the past like year or so that, um, I don't know. Like I like commitment. I like serious relationships. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think that fits with your personality. It does. Yeah. yeah. But mm-hmm. yeah, I'm very, very happy. I love my boo a lot. I can tell by the enthusiasm in your voice. <laughs> Whatever. You know, I just be getting shy and coquettish about this stuff. But you, like, don't even tell me. Like, I don't know anything about... I know, I know you, you... This is exactly how you say it to me. We're good. I'm happy. <laughs> um, well, I'm, I guess I can just be happy that you're happy. And I'm also noticing that, like, I, I don't think I would just... I don't think I will ever adjust to having friends that feel so private about their relationships. We'll we'll keep so. here. I I talk to you off mic all the time. You're not going to play this game. No you don't. Okay. We're not going to play this game, Nikita. When it, about about your bae? No you don't. About everything else, yeah. You I feel like you're an open book off mic. You don't ask. I do. I stopped because it's just like, we're good. We're good. We're no. good. I'm happy. I'm like, okay, Nikita. All right. We'll take your good, happy ass on then. <laughs> okay. Whatever. What's What Curve Chronicles you got? I'm good. I'm happy. Um... I mean, you know, things are still amusing in the... Uh, the DM world. Um, I mean, actually not in DMs, to be honest. Like, only only my friends interact with me on social media. So that's fun. Um, I feel very affirmed by my friends, uh, near and far. I mean, I, I often spin out about uh, why it is that the dope-ass black specifically black women i know of all sexual orientations like struggle to um find this particular type of love in their life um so i forget her name but the woman who made that song earth is ghetto i want to leave um she made this second song about like her soulmate and like finding like, hoping she doesn't drown in the bathtub before she finds her soulmate or something. It's very sad. And I think Earth is Ghetto was also very sad. Um, but it was just sort of funny because it hit this nerve with all of us after the coup, you know, attempt of, like, yes, get me out of here. Um, yeah, and so uh, one of our friends sent that to our friend group. And I was just like, yeah, this is how... Like, this is how a lot of folks, a lot of uh, black women who are, um, like, so, so achieved and accomplished and fulfilled and, and joyous and 
beautiful and all these other aspects of life. But like, um, you know, uh, Diamond said this on the Hose podcast once that love is elusive. Like, um, I think that might be the, the name of that episode that Diamond was on in her whole uprising. But yeah, it just always feels so elusive. And it's like when you, yeah, like I can know all the theory about how all the isms sure. like con- construct the world to to make me feel this way, but that doesn't necessarily make it feel any different. That like, right. oh, you know, uh, people are colorist, people are fat phobic, people are homophobic, people right. are, people are insert all the isms um, that would put put me in this dating. I it's not even a pool, it's a a bottle cap, you know, and it's like I try I try really hard not to uh think from like a scarcity mindset, but the reality is like it's it's hard to be in relationship with other women of color. Um I just where are they? Where? Right. And right. and like even with within community when they're replicating like the same things that you see in like, you know, the larger population. I didn't want this to be so fucking sad, but it, it, you know, the reality is it is like, this is how I feel about these things. Um, It's like at, at times I can get very fixated on it because it feels like the, the area that is most frustrating and out of my control about life. So it's like, I can't, you know, I can't make nobody see how dope I am. Um, so I just, you know, whatever. Um, and then there's like, you know, when you do meet somebody, there's also the 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 magic of sparks flying that you can't really account for just based on shared values and nope, nope, shared nope. interests and all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. Um, so you know, I continue to listen to Nicole Byer. Why won't you date me? Um, which I I really wish that Nicole would get better guests on that podcast. Cause what the fuck? Like, <laughs> I feel like she's had a handful of guests that give really good, um, you know, like dating tips and all this stuff. And then overwhelmingly. So she has, uh, people who just reify all the isms and say really fucked up stuff. Like right. read Steve Harvey's book act like a lady think like a man like oh my what? in the year 2021 20, yes yes Ooh. so i wish for her better guests on that podcast <laughs> um yeah so i don't know where i was going with that curve chronicle but um when you're curved by the community where do you where are your chronicles <laughs> um, oh god I feel like I remember feeling that pretty um, intensely. I remember, I feel like I was talking to my therapist a lot about that Mm -hmm. last year. It's just so hard. Like you said, I think that's the most difficult thing about it is that, you know, you can't, you really can't control it. And Mm -hmm. that feels, Mm -hmm. and both of us are control freaks. It's just, it's just I'm not like, a control freak. I don't I don't need to be like in control. I just have a vision of the way things can go and make it more efficient and seamless for everybody involved. So blink. 
blink. I think I think there's there's a difference. I don't identify as a control freak. Nobody does. Mm, I think some people do. But no, I was just saying that that's the part that makes it the hardest. Mm-hmm. I don't know what else to say. It's just like wanting wanting to uh, relate to people sexually and romantically is hard. I, and I imagine that uh, not wanting to and, and create a community in um, like aromantic or asexual ways, I'm sure that that's hard too. Sure. Um, I mean, I feel like, I mean, everybody, regardless of whatever, talks about how hard dating is. But I think that this this has always felt, um, I feel like I've been aware of this since whether I could give language to it or not, like, I feel like this is something I noticed, like, as soon as, like, this becomes a thing in life, you know, like, so I feel like mm-hmm. I, I noticed this at, like, 13. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I mean, I do feel like the difference, though, is even though it's like hard to feel like you still feel the things regardless of whatever sort of analysis that you have of it. Um, how I think about this, well, obviously as like a 30 something is like drastically different as like a teen or like early twenties. Cause I feel like at sure. that time yeah. it was mm-hmm. just like all like internalization. It Absolutely. Was like, and completely. And I think uh, that's all internal. That mm-hmm. to me, I mean, it's not, you know, it's not, it doesn't mean that you still don't have hard feelings about it, but that to me feels like the big, the big difference. And I remember even talking about that, like when I was single last year, like, like I still at the end of the day, like knew who I was, not just knew who I was as a person, but knew that I was like a catch. And I don't mm-hmm. think that, you know, 13, 14, 15, 18, 20 year old Nikita. Yeah. Knew that. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely shifted. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I can like credit having a black feminist critique of things yeah. with that shift of like, okay, th- it doesn't. It doesn't impact my sense of self-esteem, self-whatever, self yeah, yeah. yeah, the way yeah. it used to when I was, like, a kid, you know, yeah. like a, a baby gay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, now I can see, like, all the factors, you know, like, uh, the attack on public space of where folks used to meet, you know, yep, it's like, yep. where where are all the lesbian bars? Right. You know? Where are all the lesbians? That's another question. But, you know, it's like, um, I get I get all of the things that make it harder now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, I don't know. Like, when I, to- when I talk about this, I hear people say that it's hard. It's hard for everybody. It's hard for everybody. Um, and sometimes that has felt dismissive from people that, like, uh... Yeah, it's hard in the human way, but it's just some a little bit more extra hurdles. Like <laughs> it's just a because uh, like like we all on an obstacle course, but I got like 
a little a little extra hoop to jump through. <laughs> because like it's sometimes like I think the way I've thought about this often is like it's often like a numbers game too. Like Yes. When I go yeah. you know, it's like you go out in public. I mean when when you could go outside. <laughs> when outside um, was open. <laughs> right. And it's like you you know, you throw throw a rock and hit a straight person. Exactly. And yeah. it's like and so it's like you're just opportunities for meeting people. Yes. Just yeah. like meeting other queer people, not even mm-hmm. about not even you're going yeah. to be interested yeah. or like just like it just has always mm-hmm. felt like a numbers game. Yep, yeah. And so when you like the only one of the only one in all these exactly. spaces. Exactly. It's like who who I'm supposed to be friends right. with, much less date. Date, yeah. Yeah. And it's like all the spaces of like social socializing. It's like I don't just go out to a bar and be like, oh, I'm probably gonna meet somebody. Yeah. Like, or yeah. I'm just gonna go out and like that. That to me is like. So and and also I feel like another thing about the saying like sure like dating is hard for like all kinds of people, but it's like. And maybe this is just like from my perception. I, I mean, I don't know what straight folks are doing but i feel like straight people are like 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 there's a difference between having like a whole bunch of failed or like having a whole bunch going out on dates and they don't lead anywhere lead to anything versus like i can't even find people to get to the the bad date date that doesn't lead anywhere yeah yeah yeah. i think that to Mm -hmm. me is like those are the things that feel like significant differences that yes. are washed yeah. away when saying like it's date hard dating is hard for everybody. It's like yeah. sure, but it's like again, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, you go on tw- bad, twenty bad Tinder dates, and yeah. you know, mm-hmm. maybe I go on three. <laughs> you know, <laughs> a year. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> so. Like that is like yeah. Okay, yeah. are either one of us finding our long lost whatever? No, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at least like you, the options again. It feels like there's just options. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like this ties back to uh, the Kathy Cohen article too about like I was literally thinking the same thing. Yeah, um, yeah, about just like dating. And uh, forming relationships and families in the margins. And yeah, yeah. I'm I'm still out here. I'm still as much as as much out here as you can be in a pandemic <laughs> when outside is closed. Yeah, in a Panasonic. Yeah. yeah, you know. It's like I think I think all this stuff wins when uh, we give in to like the self defeating narratives that it wants us to. Yeah. to give in to yeah. you know yeah. like <laughs> and so i'm like mm, no i I reject those wholeheartedly i know as nikita would say i'm a catch but what they're saying golden <sighs> girls you're just too sweet to be languishing on the vine nobody said that you said that mm. it's a it's a rough paraphrase well right y'all that is all i got <laughs> All right. Well, this has been a banging ass uh, episode uh, one hundred. Somewhere it's talking about like setting excessive goals. Somewhere in my um, like mind, a few years ago, I was like, if I could just make it to one hundred episodes, then you know, it's a wrap for Queer Walk. 
And now I feel like, oh, we're at 100. And I just want to keep going. I just, you know, I feel like we just. 200. Yeah, I feel like we just got our footing as a as a podcast community. And I'm so excited. <laughs> I can't, can't wait to see where we go. Yeah. 100? 200? 1,000? 10,000? Ah. No. We're bi-weekly, Nikita. How many years would that take? <laughs> Well, I'm planning on living till about 120, so I'm, I'm We would here. have to pass it down to two new uh, Biffles, two new best friends to take over our spots. <laughs> I would love to. That would be so great. Hand the reins over. That would be great. That would be cute. Um. Oh, my gosh. This might fit in the Curve Chronicles segment. But I was just thinking, I you know, I got one of those Tracy's dog uh, vibrators. A very overhyped, overhyped. It's called a what? Tracy's Tracy's dog. dog? Yeah. Why? I don't know. That's the name of it. I don't know. Like animal? Woof, woof. Yes, Nikita, but no bestiality. All right. (laughs) There's, it's no dogs involved. Oh. Um. One of them looks like a little rubber ducky, but no. It. It looks like a claw, like a U. It's like a hook shape, like a a horseshoe shape. And, like, part of it is an inserting vibrator. And the other part, like, it's supposed to give, like, a suctioning sensation on, like, you know, your external parts, maybe. Right. Um, Yeah. Wasn't up to snuff? No, I mean not the hype. Like the the stickers and all that stuff says, I saw God and like everybody. Yeah, everybody that I've talked to who had it was just like, oh my gosh, I was like knocked out for three days and I I came so hard and blah blah blah. And so I was what? like, okay, let me see what this is talking about. Let me see. And it was uh, it was it, did, it, was okay. it didn't slap. No. I mean, it didn't suck. It didn't. <laughs> it just, yeah, it was regular. It was very, it was like, okay. Okay. Hmm. Huh. What a it, it didn't. It, it, it wasn't, it wasn't like as mind-blowing. It, yeah, it was just like a regular vibrator. It wasn't anything that I haven't experienced with any other vibrator. So, I feel kind of played because I got two. You can't really return a vibrator. <laughs> I <laughs> know the other one is still in a box. I got two because I, mean, I don't know. Like the I'm box like that, that it came in, not any other sort of. Yes, it's still in the box it came in. It's not in my box. It's oh, in the box. Okay. okay Jeez. That, I was about to be like, wow, that would be impressive if you recorded for two hours with that thing in there. <laughs> it is quiet. I'll give it that. Is this the part where we ask listeners for <laughs> for for vibrator suggestions? Nah, yeah. I think I might just be off vibrators for a little while. Maybe I'm just over it. Maybe. Nah. Unless y'all got any suggestions for like hands free options? <laughs> I'm vividly trying to imagine. Okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think we should shut it off here. I think this is this is going to get into this. just no. All right, y'all. Well, <laughs> this has been Money, the Lesbian Earther, and this has been Nikita, uh, the newly certified rigor and signaler. And y'all just listen to Queer Walk the Podcast, the 100th episode, 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 episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. Money, shut it off. Um, come back next episode, um, 101, where we'll have Cruella DeVille as our special guest. <laughs> I about to say 101, no Dalmatians. All right, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to turn this off. Bye, y'all.